0: Whoa, wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Things feel sour
1: here for Besser. Miller centers for Besser, one-timer, he scores! Brock Besser in the slot, rips it past Elias Sorokin, and the Canucks have snagged the lead. It's two to one.
2: Call an ambulance! Call an ambulance! But not for me. I did not eat four burgers.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.
2: (laughs) Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Say so good morning, my yellow hatted friend Jason over here. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. It's a gold hat. Uh, it's
3: a Canucks hat. I don't know if you're familiar with them. We talk about them a little bit.
2: One, I do know it's a Canucks hat. Two, that is a yellow hat.
3: Also here this morning Andy Cole,
2: aka A Dog. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. And finally, Laddie, aka Greg Ballot. Good morning, Laddie. Hello, hello. Good intro, Laddie. That was funny. But not for me. (laughs) Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. His hat may be yellow, but his feet are gold. Jason Bruff here to tell you about Kintech.
3: You're getting pretty good at those. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you seems like a, such a waste that you, were, you weren't thinking of anything creative for ex- so long now. I accepted he's, the he's challenge. He's written
1: a whole book on them. He's just sitting at home scribbling every day.
3: I took great offense to, why are you so
2: predictable? Look at me now. Creative.
3: Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. You
2: know, Laddie brought up a good point there. It just got in my ear. You know who would have appreciated my predictability? Uh, Rick Hockett would have liked it.
3: Yeah, that's true. But, you know, you're doing a supposed to do a funny radio show. You're not playing hockey. That's true. Okay, let's get to the guest list on this radio show, shall we? Uh, starts at
2: 6.30. Sportsnet's very own Justin Bourne is going to join us. It'll be a two-part conversation with Bourne. We'll talk about hockey, NHL, Leafs, Canucks, of course. But uh, we haven't had a chance to have him on the air. Since he announced his new book, which deals with his battle with alcoholism, as a friend of ours for a long time. Uh, we've obviously spoken to Bourne individually, reached out to him, and said, you know. Kudos for addressing this, and we're proud of you for being brave as you go through this battle. But this will be a chance for the listeners to hear his story and to learn more about his book, which is going to be coming out shortly.
3: And we had no idea. We had no idea that he was going through these battles. So uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation with Justin.
2: That's going to be at 6.37 o'clock. It's the Moj. Bob, the Moj Marjanovic is going to join us. This is our pre-Super Bowl hit from Arizona. We can talk to Moj about the big game on Super Sunday can also talk about his very controversial visit to In-N-Out. Yes, I love food. He does love food. He says he did not eat the four burgers that were in front of him during the video. Right. We will get to the bottom of this. Much like Moj got to the bottom of those four burgers. Do you
3: follow him on Twitter? He's been uh, all over Radio Row at Super Bowl. I saw him chatting with Joe Montana. Uh And you know Moj, he always... uh, gives guys stuff, like whether it's cigars or salmons. So I saw him give something to Joe Montana. It looked like a drug deal, honestly. Is he Nardwar? Like Like (laughs) salmon? What? Like he just
1: gives them a salmon? Just like salmon, smoke salmon. Yeah. Oh it's like prepared. That's
3: how he gets them on (laughs) his show. You didn't know about this, Greg?
2: No, well, I just I think it's kind of funny. Moj is the most famous Gladhander
3: I yeah. think outside of politics. <laughs>
1: he just leaves, leaves like a trail of smoked salmon yeah, in front of the g- guests, and he they doesn't, just follow it.
3: He doesn't even go up and say like, "These are some cigars." He just he just like hands. He's like, I will say smoked this. salmon. Yeah, There's no, he doesn't even say anything. <laughs> oh, he just, just like he just like gives it to them. <laughs> There's sheer genius. He keeps talking. There's sheer genius in
2: it though because. All the people, like, just imagine the amount of people that Joe Montana meets that want to go up and introduce themselves and be, ask him for something, right? I think probably point zero 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 one percent of them come armed with, like, three pounds of smoked salmon. You remember that guy. Because even if they don't remember his name, they're like, you're the smoked salmon guy. Well, they take something yeah. home from him, right? Smoked salmon and cigars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have the Do memory. you think
1: it's like Cheers when Moj walks in Radio Row, everyone's like, smoked salmon! <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not quite... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moj also had one of those, like, uh, the, the leg therapy things that you do after a workout where you, yeah. you're, you're ensconced in like a, mm-hmm. so sort of like, it look like a plastic wrap. I don't even know how to describe it. What I've, are they I've used one of those. Yeah. What are they called? Do we know? No idea what they're called, but just, I was, uh, they're like coffins for your legs, right? They help yeah. you
1: recover. They're recovery
2: boots. That's yeah. What they're called yeah. leg. You recover coffins. from trip, trips to in and out apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So seven o'clock Moj is going to join us. We'll talk about the Super Bowl too. Maybe we'll see. Seven thirty, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com in goal magazine. Uh, Vancouver Canucks won another another really, really entertaining game last night. 6-5 over the New York Islanders. So Rick Tockett moves to 3-2-1 as head coach. We will talk to Kevin Woodley at 7.30 about that. And now I've led up to the big guest of the day. 8 o'clock. Owner of the Camp Loops Blazers. Owner of the Dallas Stars. Tom Gallardi is going to be on the program. That should be an interesting conversation, to put it mildly. Uh, I'll say this. I ran through your questions. One, I'm stealing them. Two, very good questions. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil all of them, but the last one that you asked is, that was what I wouldn't have even thought of asking. And that is, what's it like to be an owner sharing a city with Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones? Yeah, That's you, a really good question. Do you feel like you got to up your game a little bit? Like, what do you have to do? <laughs> all the stunts you would have to pull just to be irrelevant. It's a great question. So Tom Gallardi's going to join us at eight. Woodley at 7.30, Moj at 7, Justin Bourne at 6.30. Late night in the NHL, just four NHL games. Only Canadian team in action is the Leafs. Busy, busy NBA day. 11 games, of course, after the trade deadline is all said and done. And perhaps most importantly, it is Friday. So it's Ask Us Anything Friday. A-Dog, as it relates to the giveaway, we're going to give away a pair of tickets for the best Ask Us Anything today. Give the details on the game and whatever else we need to know.
1: Well, you hashtag AUA or ask us anything, give us your best one, and we'll be giving away one pair of tickets today to the Canucks game. Uh, They play the Red Wings on Monday.
2: Beautiful. And uh, a reminder, the Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650 if you want to get a hold of us at the show. Okay, that is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened.
3: Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What
2: happened? You missed, you missed that? What happened? It was a night of bows in New York, and the Canucks bow, the new bow, emerged a victor. Anthony Beauvillier scored in the third period to help the Canucks snap their two-game losing streak. Rally for a 6-5 win over the Islanders at UBS, not USB, UBS Arena. On Thursday. Boville actually scored to make it 6-4 in the third period. Isles came back late, got a power play goal to make it 6-5. That means Boville gets the winner. Elias Pettersson, two goals and an assist. How about Brock Besser last night? A goal and three assists. Uh, the Canucks, as mentioned, rallied from a 4-2 deficit in the third, which means Bo Horvat had to explain blowing leads on his new team. He had a lot of experience with his old team. That was a good tweet last night, by
0: the
3: way. It yeah, made me laugh. stealing my... Stealing my- Tweets immediately gave you credit for it, but that's Mm -hmm.
2: fine. Good win for the Canucks. Rick Talkett seemed happy after the game. I bet there was a lot of money on the board, et cetera, et cetera. Uh,
3: So I actually want to start with a guy that (laughs) we tend to every day try and trade out of Vancouver, and that is JT Miller, because I thought he was excellent last night, like right from the very start, even when he had one giveaway. That nearly cost the Canucks. But, I, you know, not, let's not bring that focus up. Focus on Let, the positives. focus on the positives with J.T. Miller. He was just – you could tell that he was just dialed in and ready to go. And, and, and I think we've seen a better J.T. Miller, frankly, the last few games. Um, Under he, Rick Tockett, you're saying? I don't think – I don't know if that has anything to do with Rick Tockett. Who knows? Maybe it does. Maybe it does. I mean, we've seen that this guy is capable of playing really, really good hockey. We saw it last season. Uh, This season has been a little bit different. Uh, The offensive production hasn't been there, especially at five on five. And the defensive mistakes, because those defensive mistakes and puck management mistakes are, are there. And you combine that with more of a lack of offense. Those defensive mistakes have been getting more attention. And also his body language and temper tantrums, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that he signed a new contract that a lot of people don't like. But I think last night, Let's remove all that. Let's remove history. Let's remove the contract. I'm watching that game and going, JT Miller is playing better than Bo Horvat. And that was my comparison last night. And Horvat didn't even play that badly. But I was looking at that game and going, JT Miller is more of an impact player right now than Bo Horvat is for the Islanders.
2: Yeah, and he had that big shot block right at the end of the game, too, to to seal the deal. And he, It's interesting, right? Because, again... As we've pointed out, because this is a lost season, or dare I say a wasted season, you're going to start to try, one, to pull positives from wherever you can, and two, try and look at things that are going to bode well for the future. Mm -hmm. right? So, for example, Brock Besser. Brock Besser scores a goal and three assists last night. That's great. What's the future knock-on effect? Well, maybe it'll bump his value incrementally going into the trade deadline. You look at JT Miller. Is this going to be a sign of, oh, He's got the right coach behind the bench, or maybe he's got the right structure, or maybe, maybe he just realizes now that with Horvat gone and a leadership group being recrafted, that he needs to do more to be a part of that. Uh, talk about Elias Pedersen. A lot of people last night. I saw this on Twitter, and then in a couple of post gamers that were out there as well, including Patrick Johnston's from the province. This could be seen as another handing the torch moment where Horvat's gone, but he's still on the ice, and it's a monster Pedersen effort. And, I mean, talk. It, played
3: almost 24 minutes.
2: Which is something that Tocket said, I'm not really interested in having the top guys play those kind of minutes. Those are yeah. Boudreaux minutes. Not Talkett minutes, but I guess at a certain point, and Bick and Sat were pointing this out on the post-game show too, it felt like that game meant a little bit more, if only because it's Horvath against his old team, it's mm-hmm. Beauvillier against his old sure, team. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, you know... Every once
3: in a while, you got to... You got to ride your horses. Sure. Try to win. You know, mm-hmm. it's not
2: stealth tank, not team tank. All apologies to Andy over there. So there were some interesting things. It's still too small sal- small of a sample size for me to glean a ton. But if we're going to rely on the good old-fashioned eye test, mm-hmm. they look like a, I don't want to say significantly different team, but they look like a different team than the ones we saw oftentimes under Boudreaux. The funny part is, it was 6-5 last night.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so the scores are the same. The scores are the same, and there are still the the defensive breakdowns. Um, I think a lot of last night on both sides was goaltending. Like, I don't think either goalie played well. That is very fair. Um, but I just – God, it's it's so hard to <laughs> – you know, like you mentioned the scores, and then there was that big breakdown in New Jersey, like the mini collapse where they allowed three goals in 50 seconds. There was the bad start against the Rangers the other night. Maybe it's me just hoping or maybe it's me uh you know looking for something that I wasn't looking for when they were coached by Boudreau. But for me, they look more defensively responsible, even though they allowed five goals last night. I've enjoyed the games more. I I, I, I don't I You're not I, as frustrated. I, I'm not as frustrated watching watching the games. I'm not yelling at the TV. I've I've enjoyed the games more. Uh, and maybe it's also like okay there's something new to watch. I think I just got really tired of watching the games under and this isn't a Boudreaux thing, this is more like the players. I was like I I've seen this this game like this and now that there's something new to watch. Like there's when when a new coach comes in, you're looking for different things, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to watch those things. I really liked what I've seen from Pod Colson. Yeah. For example, you know? Uh, I don't know if he was all that present last night, but things like that are new, and it's also new watching the team without Horvat. Yeah, who's going to take true. all the faceoffs? That's true, right? It, it's a bit, a big like deal. Just little right? things, little things like that. Yep. But let's be honest. Last night was a story about Elias Pettersson. It was a story about Brock Besser who had four points. And it was a story for me, at least, about JT Miller, about how well he played.
2: Yeah, and this is going to be a big thing moving forward because you still, I mean, again, when you talk about JT Miller, I think you always have to at least mention cursory or whatever, uh, the trade deadline. And that that marks a real line in the sand where all of a sudden, once it gets past that date, you're now talking about that contract essentially being like kicking in. Like I know it doesn't kick in until next season, but for all intents and purposes, that thing kicks in the moment that the, mar- the trade deadline comes and p- comes and goes. So at that point, they need him to be more than what he was over the first half of the season, and that's uh, an on ice thing for sure. It's a stylistic thing for sure, how he meshes. It's an attitude and personality thing, mm-hmm. absolutely. And we've had a couple texts come in already, wondering is is this talk it doing for Miller what he did? For Phil Kessel and quite frankly I don't know I don't think anybody knows outside of Kessel sorry Tockett and Miller right now and I doubt they're even really sure of it either but there's something to be said someone jokingly texted in that the key to unlocking JT Miller's powers is you have to sacrifice a head coach first but <laughs> like every, every year right like routinely you just have to keep doing it um Tockett maybe is going to be more adept at pushing buttons. Cause that was a big part of his relationship with Kessel. That I don't think a lot of people understand is that it wasn't just coddling him. Right. It was finding a way to motivate a guy that other guys couldn't motivate or mm. get through to right. Explaining your message in a particular way. Like sometimes it's not about throwing an arm around a guy. It's needling him in the right way or being blunt when nobody else will, or going toe to toe with someone when they're being, frustrated or aggressive or hot-headed, instead of just backing down and let him vent, right? Some coaches will be like, you know, let him vent, let him swear and smash his stick. Let him get it out of his system. We'll get him back out there for the next shift. Other coaches do other things. I'm not saying that this is what talk it's doing, but these are the sort of little interpersonal relationships that he stressed that talk it, that is when he came on the job that you have to build these with every single player and you have to unlock every single guy. It's not so much about, um, Acknowledging the group or addressing the group. I mean, it's why I think it's partly, honestly, why they have like 13 head coaches.
3: Few texts in here, Ke- uh, Kevin and Campbell River. Any Luke Shen injury update? No, not really. He just didn't play. He's day to day. So hopefully he's ready to get back and uh, be healthy in time. Certainly for the trade deadline because the Canucks have a big decision on that. But him not playing yesterday, not, not great. Not, Bob. not great. Not great. Um, but we still got lots of time. It's February tenth today. Not it's you know, the trade deadline's March third. So there's a few uh, you know, if he's day to day, I'm less worried about that, but it is a concern going forward. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. Um here's a text from House of Negativity. We still gave up five goals again. Yeah. There are there are issues right now. And the goaltending last night I don't think was very good for either of them. I like think, Sorokin I, I wasn't think, good. Yeah. And Delia wasn't good because he's calling Delia. I think that needs to be said. I think it really does. We, and, hey, every
2: time that goaltending has been brought up over the last two months and how poor it's been or the lack thereof, what have you and I said mostly? We're like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. the, yeah sure
3: the Golden isn't great but the team in front of it might be worse and oftentimes was. There's personnel issues. There's massive personnel issues too with the defense of this group. Yep. And and the and and, and someone texted in is the PK better? Not really. No. Nope. Like it's it's not because I I think for the most part it's a personnel issue. Like I, they're running damn. through whoever out there. It, 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 there is not a special a specialty group within the Canucks that kills penalties. And it is one of the big failings of the management groups, the current one, the last one, that jettisoned a lot of good overpaid veteran penalty killers. And I don't think anyone had a problem with them trying to move the likes of Louis Erickson or Antoine Roussel or or whoever, Mm -hmm. Um, but they haven't replaced them. So if you jettison those guys, and especially if you get rid of guys like Alex Sedler and, and Chris Tanev, or not get rid of them, just not re-sign them, and they walk away for nothing, but I digress. Yep. Um, this is going to be a challenge for the management group in the offseason is to replace the depth players that they have with better penalty killers. Yeah, And I don't know if some some of them, like maybe Nils Amon, can be a good penalty killer who knows he's going
2: li- to have to get better at it in a hurry
3: like though. guys but but guys like that yeah i get you w- within the group uh it doesn't sound like talkot wants to have his best players out there he doesn't want to have elias peterson out there you know they got to find another centerman or two when you trade away a guy like bo horvat especially a guy that is out there on the pk and taking faceoffs and i'm not saying he was effective on the pk because he wasn't yeah. in fact it was one of his failings here But they're going to have to find guys because this PK needs to be fixed, and I don't think it's just a coaching thing. I think it's mostly a personnel thing.
2: Oh, I 100% don't think it's a coaching thing. I mean, if you look right now, it seems as though a lot of the stylistic changes, the strategic changes, just the X's and O's of it, I mean, it, talk, it was talking about the two-man forecheck in his post-game remarks yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I kudos to whoever was working the camera for Sportsnet because they caught a picture-perfect two-man arriving at the exact same time to pin a guy in deep and start the board battle to try and win it. So it was like a perfect reflection of what he wanted to do. I bet it made film today or tomorrow whenever they practice. None of that applies to the penalty kill. Like, whatever changes he's tried to make mm-hmm. – They still allow goals on the power play with the same regularity. Like, last night, they were one for three. Uh, Sorry, two for three. The Isles scored one on the power play. But it really should have been two power play goals. Like, the one that got called back, that's a coin flip on the challenge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that gets reversed. Sometimes it doesn't. And then they went and scored almost immediately afterwards. I know it didn't count as a power play goal. But you just look at this unit, and it is – I texted this to you yesterday. It is so beleaguered. It is so bad, yeah, and it is so consistent that you've almost reached the point I have anyway. That anytime there's a big penalty kill, I'm texting people like <laughs> guaranteed goal coming up for sure. Yeah, like the
3: overtime loss, I was like, that's a guarantee because there's no there's no stalwarts out there, right? No, Where you're yeah. like, okay, you throw these guys out. We know we're comfortable. Someone mm-hmm. texted and please call out Oel and Myers when Myers gets the puck, he's panicky. Oel can't skate like at all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we know this. Correct. Right? I mean, we know this. This is a this is this is a problem. And right? I just talked about Edler and Tanev no longer being with the Canucks, and I know that's old news, but like those are supposed to be the new Edler and Tanev, OEL and Myers. They and they're not close, close right? And that's why you look back on those guys, and Edler took a lot of criticism in this market and at the end of Tanev's tenure, let's be honest, a lot of our a lot of us were like, Yeah, don't re sign this guy. I mean, before then it was trade some trade him and get something yeah. for him, but don't re sign this guy because he's starting to break down. He wasn't playing all that well at the end of his tenure with Vancouver. There are a lot of people noticing he 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 or at least at the time, the opinion was this guy's lost a step. Yep. So I don't think anyone had an issue with management going out and trying to replace them, the issue is that <laughs> they weren't replaced well. Yeah, who they replaced You know, like, them who with. they replaced them well because it's hard to find defensemen in the NHL.
2: Uh, other stories from last night. A-Dog, do you want to um, – I know you're sad. You responded with a sad face emoji in our text group when uh, it was pointed out that <laughs> Andre Kuzmenko is clearly in a little bit of a doghouse right now with Rick Tockett.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, Tockett does not seem to – Care for Kuzmenko's play as of late? Uh, I don't know if it's the defensive end of things. It's
2: I'm the, uh, assuming maybe spin, that's spinning. part of it. Oh, it's it's sp- the incessant sp- spinning. doesn't like the spinning, yeah. sure,
1: but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a thing right now.
2: Kuzmenko finished last night with 12 minutes and 17 seconds of ice time. That was below the likes of Phil DiGiuseppe and Vesely Podkolzin. So that's a statement right there. That's a message. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little curious to see how that one plays out because uh, that's sort of where we get to see the first bit of talk. it's no-nonsense approach. Like, we've seen him embrace certain guys and give them more minutes and, you know, the dangling carrot, and here's the cookie, more ice time. This is the inverse of it. He's, I think he's probably the first guy that's had the real sort of public challenge, right? Because last game against New York, when Talkett mentioned the, the five guys that were, weren't doing much tonight. Kuzmenko was the only one that got called out by name. Granted, he got asked a question about Kuzmenko, but still. Is
1: it the back-checking or lack thereof? I mean, I know he said the spinning, but I mean, like, is it the back-checking he's specifically focusing on, or two-way de- play?
2: He, he wants, he wants like direct, direct skate line, <laughs> straight line guys. <laughs> if you can watch me on on the on the app right now on this the live stream, I'm pointing directly with my hand. There's a
3: lot of things that'll go into that. It's not just back-checking. It'll be puck management, but it'll also be are you in the right position? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know there are rules that he has talk that I'm talking about, like, that you just don't break. And, you know, I don't think he's going to come out and publish his list of rules, but, you know, Kuzmenko – well, I could probably
1: get it from him. i just text him. Yeah,
3: but listen, like, Bruce Boudreau, what do we always hear from players that have played for Bruce Boudreau and even Kevin Bieksa when he went in and delivered that speech and he said, you guys are lucky to be playing for Bruce. Why? Because he lets them play. Yep. And my immediate response was, someone should stop letting them play (laughs) because the way they play is not so good, right? It it was almost like when Bruce first came in, he was like, guys, we need to free you up because you're playing so tight out there. And I think that was a good message at the time, right? It was like, all right. Go, go out and play because they'd lost their confidence. And sometimes you just need to be told, like, you guys know how to play hockey, right? Like, yep. you've been playing hockey your whole life, so just go out there and play a little bit more on instinct. But then eventually something <laughs> something happened, and maybe that the first thing that happened was uh, they, didn't, they weren't getting the spectacular goaltending, but they started playing with no idea <laughs> yeah, to play hockey yeah. right like like this is the difference for me when i'm watching them now under talk it and again maybe i'm projecting a little bit but like they some of the things that they did under bruce boudreau it wasn't normal for an nhl team to play that way it wasn't normal to watch the type of mistakes that they were making. Yeah, it I was not that. typical for a professional hockey team to play that way. And, there are still those things that are going on right now, but it seems like it's less so. Yeah, I think I think when it's all said and done and we look back on this
2: <clears throat> end of the tenure of Bruce Boudreaux, it's going to become pretty clear that there were two major problems that collided into this crap storm that they called the first half of the season. Uh, a team that didn't have structure and didn't have... Details in its game, meshed with bad personnel. Like it, it's at times, it's the perfect storm. And it, what does it translated to? A historically bad penalty kill, for example. Like you were saying, it wasn't normal the mistakes they were making. Well, it's not normal to have a penalty kill that operates around sixty five percent. You got to go back to. Prehistoric times, Montreal Maroons. Yeah, really. When like the the backwards pass was like outlawed, like it was it was one of these things where <laughs> you just you're like you can't believe that they're this bad, but they are. I think it would have been the forward pass is outlawed. I think you're right. Actually, yeah, I think the backwards would have pass. Rugby was on. on ice. The backwards pass was fine. Okay, uh we are going to move along here. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we're going to have Justin Bourne on the program. We've had Bourne on numerous times. We've known him for the better part of a decade. Uh, you obviously see his work nationally on Sportsnet. Uh, we're going to talk to him about hockey, obviously, but we're also going to talk to him about something that's very personal and close to him, and that is uh, his battle with alcoholism, who he came public with that battle a short while ago. He's got a book coming out detailing, uh, in part, his life, but also that journey through this battle. So we're very, very happy that he could join us, and we're very much looking forward to talking to him. Justin Bourne is coming up next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.
1: Big opinions and good bets. It's the people Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe
0: on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: 34 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody! Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, Just a quick overview again of the show, in case you missed it off the top. Before we get to Justin Bourne from Sportsnet, we are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Red Wings on Monday night. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. If you want tickets to that game, you can submit. We'll open it up to what we learned or ask us anything. I don't want to, I don't want to narrow the scope. If you have something exciting or interesting to say, hashtag it WWL or A-U-A. Text the 650 650. This is important. Put a ticket emoji in your text. That is how you will be entered into the grand prize draw to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks. And their new head coach, Rick Tockett, and their new player, Anthony Beauvillier, against the Red Wings on Monday, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena,
3: against the Red Wings. We need more Ask Us Anythings. We barely have any, and we're giving away hockey tickets. Come on.
2: I know. I mean, we've only been on the air for 35 minutes, but still, we usually have more than this. So this is my plea to you, and my plea involves a bribe. Tickets. Got it? Okay, good. Uh, Let's go to the phone lines now. Happy to be joined by our next guest. Good friend of the program. Justin Bourne from Sportsnet here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Bourne? How are you, bud?
0: Hello, my friends. I'm doing well. How's everyone out in Vancouver?
2: We are well. And things have, you know, what actually kind of settled down around the local hockey okay. squadron. It's it's got it's gone from a yell, a loud yell to a dull roar. So we can actually put that on the back burner for a moment, Bourne, because uh, we've mentioned. Everything that's going on with you, um, both in a hockey sense and work sense, but also on a personal level, uh, your book comes out in a handful of days. And, you know, the book is titled Down and Back on Alcohol, Family, and a Life in Hockey. And for those listening that might not be aware, um, you very publicly in the last little while came forth with your struggles and your battles with alcoholism you came about it very publicly. I know we've talked offline and mm. on a personal level. I think Jason and I and I just want to reiterate this again. Like we're super happy for you. We're super proud that you're you're battling this thing head on and you're you're making it public and you're trying to bring awareness to a very serious issue that affects a lot of people. So first off, man, like once again, super stoked for you that you're able to address this. Can you explain to us and to the listeners um, why you decided to go this route, to address this publicly, to write the book. Was there something in particular where you decided now's the time? Let us know, bud.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, things were fine in my life till, uh I partied with you guys at Blogs with Balls about 10 years ago. And oh, then- yeah, <laughs> so we are going to bring
2: that up. Okay, great. Yeah, I was wondering when that was going to come to the forefront. So, yeah. That was a big night.
3: That was a big, uh, night. That was a big uh, night. That was a big night. That was <laughs> a big night. <laughs> Sorry about that. And, uh, Sorry.
0: and listen, no, no regrets over that one. That was a good time. But um, in all seriousness, like uh, like a lot of people who go through what I went through, you know, you – you know, you have nights like we had together and then you guys are able to go home and turn it off. Um, and that's just not, you know, became a, a thing in my life where I didn't have the ability to control it anymore. And, you know, one of the things in my life I came to learn eventually, you know, when, when I made the decision to get sober was, you know, when I was in treatment, they asked us to rank the most important things in our lives and give them our priorities. And then, you know and and include your sobriety in that and you know of course you list your family and all these other things and you know the correction that they make is that the most important thing now for me is that sobriety because without it I can't have any of those other things and so what brought me to that decision was seeing those things fade away you know starting to see my marriage fall apart and potentially losing my son and you know work life and just not being able to to keep it together and you know it's I think part of what wanted made me want to be an open part of the conversation uh, about that is that once you get sober, you realize how many people are going through that. And the community is huge. There's, you know, I call it an underground community, but it is a, just a large community of hockey people who go through this. And I, I think a lot of people probably looked at me and thought, you know, father played in the NHL, won four Stanley Cups, kind of handed everything, you know, silver spoon. And, and you know, in fairness, I, I had a great upbringing, mm-hmm. but, you know, my dad went through it, too. He's a three, he went to reta- rehab three times himself. Um, and that comes with some pain with for families and some struggles. And I think the attempt to to normalize it is part of why I wanted to be out there, but also... You know, I'm, I'm on TV and on radio all the time, and I, I want to be able to be who I am and to talk about my life and to be able to connect with people. And so I didn't feel, I felt often that I was suppressing parts of myself and there's no shame in the decision I made here. So for me, it's just a matter of, of just being able to be myself, be comfortable, and hopefully help other people be more comfortable with the, their own difficulties um, with alcoholism.
3: So when you're talking to other people that have that have struggled with this. Uh, what are some of the commonalities that you find with those people?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Cause there, there certainly are many. Um, I think there's a lot of hiding, you know, isolation is a really big, um, trend in alcoholism where people just, you know, the, the disease tries to get you alone and drive people out of your life and get you in a position where, you know, it's, it's the focal point. Um, and just, you know, the, the loss of things, one of the things in treatment, too, is, you know, they talk about, you know, we're going to do a pros and cons list of things that alcohol gave to you and list of things that alcohol took from you. And of course, there are things that alcohol does give to you. There's some people, you know, for myself, I, I felt more comfortable in the beginning in social situations. And, you know, there are there are things, obviously, people do enjoy it. The cons list, when you're in rehab, you know, the things that people have lost is dire. I mean, it's it's not just like got fired from a job or had a relationship fall apart, but you know, it's often there's death, there's jail time, there's legal ramifications. Um, you know, it's, it, it gets dark quickly. Um, and I think that connection, when you look at all these people's cons list and you go, God, I can relate to that. Or I was close to that, or that happened to me as well. Um, you know, you realize you're in the right place. There are other people. One of the sayings is you are not alone because there are other people. It feels like you're alone when you're in that isolation. But, um, yeah, that commonality with a lot of those people is just, you know, it takes a lot from us before we make the decision to get sober. You know, one of the parts of the book
2: that I wanted to explore a little bit further with you is about the the culture of the the sport, in particular hockey. But, the I mean, I we all grew up in the same sort of – Sports culture is like mm-hmm. you play and then you're, you run to the room and you, you, you smash down a bunch of beers. And then that almost like yeah. a lot of times, especially on a weekend, that kick starts the night. Right. So they were obviously right. intertwined. And then I think your example uh, to an even more unique degree, because you're talking about sport at the highest level and especially with your dad, like coming along in an era where, you know, having alcohol around was it was a commonality and it was a thing and it was hard to almost separate one from the other and I do wonder Mm -hmm. if that leads a lot of people down that path to where it becomes uh this isn't a social thing anymore but like you said this is almost it goes from being a social event to an isolated event which is a really interesting dynamic
0: it is yeah no that's that's absolutely it and you know I wanted to be careful when I wrote the book that I didn't blame hockey right right, I wasn't like this wouldn't have happened to me or my family if it wasn't for hockey. Like you look at any profession, lawyers and doctors, you know, iron workers and, you know, go through the list, man. There's alcoholism in all walks of life, rich people, poor people. It doesn't matter. So I don't blame hockey uh, for my condition. The one thing that I am aware of, you know, is that it's not so much when you start drinking to me that can, you know, activate sort of whatever it is that happened to me. To me, it's the how. And the one thing that hockey does, you know, the how of the drinking is excess. You know, like in college hockey is where I really started getting exposed to it. And there you play Friday, Saturday night. And then, you don't play till the next Friday. So Saturday night after the game is like, you know, the final buzzer goals. And you've got a funnel in your mouth with two <laughs> beers coming down to your right. gullet in nine <laughs> seconds. You know, like it's the second you're out of the rink. And so it's not a healthy you know, the, the culture of hockey, and I can't speak to all sport, but hockey does not encourage this sort of like moderation, reasonable adult, you know, way of drinking. And so, uh, you know, the, the, again, the sport's not to blame, but it certainly does encourage certain behaviors. And, you know, there's like a masculinity factor that goes with pounding beers. And that is a big part of it. You walk out of the rink and off you go. So the sport had some involvement in those ways.
3: Uh, The experience of writing the book, was that, um, I mean, writing a book is hard and writing is hard, um, but was it therapeutic at all?
0: Yeah, it was, it was therapeutic. You know, it's funny because I didn't really set out to write a book that involved my dad so much. Um, I meant to just sort of write about my story and he obviously has a part in that, so he was going to be a part of it. But, you know, my editor, I'd write a part and I'd be like, yeah, I was playing junior hockey and. I had no idea about the program or the level or what was expected. And, you know, my editor would be like, Hey, uh, like where, where was your dad? (laughs) You know, like, did he play in the NHL? Wouldn't he know some people shouldn't he have been around? And, you know, there are parts of me that were like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, you know? And so you kind of delve into some of this family stuff and come to recognize that with his struggles with alcoholism and that isolation, there were times where he wasn't in my life, you know, because he was going through his own struggles. And so, the therapeutic angle of that is just really coming to grips with some of the things that you felt, but you never really thought about. So putting in that time, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was heavy at times. You know, the, the best thing that happened to me is he read the book and, you know, wanted, wanted our relationship to find a fresh start and to reconnect in it. It really in the end has been a, a great help for my mental health because there was a lot of stuff I think beneath the surface that I hadn't addressed prior to doing it.
2: We're speaking to Justin Bourne from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, You see Justin's work routinely, of course, doing NHL analysis for Sportsnet. So let's turn there now, Bourne. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. The Toronto
2: Maple Leafs. What's it like, Justin, covering a team that knows on February 3rd that it's going to be playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs for the second year in a row? And no matter what they do from here on in, there's nothing they can do about it.
0: I know it's brutal, man. And it's not just February, whatever, as we've known since basically December, the way it's, it's shaken out. So it's bleak, but you know, we, we keep trying to, every time the points get like halfway close to them in Boston, we're like nine points. Okay. It could happen, but it's, it's not practical. So, you know, everything we do is filtered through the lens of how does this affect them in playoffs Yeah. I know it's a very different lens for the Vancouver Canucks where it's like, okay, how does this affect them long-term and their ability to make the playoffs and get back to being that kind of team for the Leafs? Nobody cares what they do unless they win a playoff round. So it's just like, do they have the horses to hang with Tampa Bay? And, God, Tampa's good again. It's going to be the same thing. I feel like I'm just walking to my execution, guys. It's, it's yeah. really bleak bleak <laughs> next couple months.
3: You know, I, I, I said multiple times um, earlier in the season, I think this is the year for Toronto, but Tampa Bay has been playing some really good hockey. I watched them against Colorado last night, and they, they beat the beat the Avs 5 nothing. and I know McCar's hurt and he he wasn't playing so it wasn't the the full strength abs team it seems like the abs haven't been at full strength all season but man if you look at the the path that the Leafs would have to take in order to get to the Stanley Cup final we're talking Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay probably Boston next probably uh, assuming that they win their first round and then maybe Carolina or New Jersey I mean, yeah. Leafs fans, t- Toronto sports fans in general must feel like they get screwed with the division they're in, with the Blue Jays in the division that they're in and the Leafs with the division they're in. Do you think that's what's driving a lot of the we-got-to-change-the-playoff format talk?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, 100%. It's just the most media it happens to be here. And so everyone's like, "This is stupid. What are we doing this for? And in fairness, it's a good point, And they're going to make enough noise about it to get it changed just in time for the Leafs to not be good in a couple of years. So it's, you know, it's a futile argument to make. You, know, you run into people who say, well, it doesn't matter who you play. You know, you got to beat everyone to win the Stanley Cup, which is the most asinine argument. No, you don't. You know, like it totally matters who you play and what your path looks like. So (laughs) it is a bummer for the Leafs. It is unfortunate the way it has fallen. But, you know, the, the thing you keep selling hope on is you look at teams who've gotten it done. And I think about the Washington Capitals and slaying their dragon and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And once they get past the Penguins, it's like, okay, it feels like they can maybe get some momentum there. The hope is you get through that first round, and all of a sudden they feel like it's house money. Because boy, the bar has really been set a lot lower than it used to be for the Leafs. Uh, you know, the Leafs playoff success.
3: What do you think the Leafs are going to do at the deadline, or what do they need to do?
0: Well, he just had Dubis come out and say they wanted to basically. He, I think he said expectations low. He didn't say small ball, but it was a lot of. You know, everyone's talking about the big names, but we just need to look at who can help our team. You know, I look at the other teams that have won cups the past few years, and you know, Colorado adds Manson and Lekkinen. Those are two good players. You know, and, and Tampa goes out and adds Gaudreau and Coleman. You know, Hagel in the past. Like, you know, you need to make meaningful ads. I think Dubis is aware of who they have to play. He's aware of where his job situation sits and where, you know, the his reputation in these first round exits is. So I don't expect them, even though he just came out and said small ball stuff. I don't expect it to be small ball. I, I think they're they're going to make some sort of significant moves here, right in the wake of the Raptors doing absolutely nothing. I say that, but I, <laughs> I, I still think like something's going to happen.
3: How comfortable or uncomfortable is everyone in Toronto with the goaltending?
0: So uncomfortable. Oh my god, I can't even believe how comfortable people are, though. Even Dubas yesterday was like, "Yeah, we're you know we're looking at stuff for forwards and D, but no, it's goaltending. We'll we'll just try to make our team better." Why outside of goaltending? Matt Murray sneezes and snaps a collarbone. Like, Ah. there's no guarantee this guy's going to be healthy. Samsonov's never really had any proven run. And I recognize it's not like when you needed Brodeur or Patrick Waugh to play every game and be the guy. Times have changed, and Darcy Kemper was just a Stanley Cup champion. But Samsonov, twice this year, said he was really uncomfortable and nervous playing his old team in the Capitals. He was... He's just said a couple of things when things haven't gone well that have made me feel like, I don't know if he's up for Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, let alone Game 7 of the first round in Tampa Bay or wherever it is. So, yeah, nervous about it, but sounds like they're not going to do anything. So, fingers crossed.
2: Warren, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this morning, this, this morning, bud. We really appreciate it. Um, all the best. Can you let our listeners know anything they need to know about the book, where to get, release dates, et cetera, et cetera, before we let you go?
0: Yeah, well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to shout about the book. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, you know, my Twitter feed at Bourne has a link to everywhere you can buy the book, but it's on Amazon, Indigo, Chapters, all those places available for pre-sale now. Uh,
2: like I said off the top, I'm happy for you and I'm proud of you. So enjoy the rest of the day and enjoy the weekend, bud.
0: Thanks, fellas. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you again.
2: Yeah, sounds good. That's Justin Bourne from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh,
3: Tarasenko traded to the Rangers yesterday. What did you think of that one?
2: I was, um, I was a little surprised at how, like, when you, when you saw all the details of it, because the first thing in my mind was, okay, well, Tarasenko's got a big ticket. Like, yes, he's a pending UFA. So the Mm -hmm. deal's going to run out. So this is a pure rental. And then I was thinking, God, I wonder how much St. Louis is retaining on this. Well, it turns out they're retaining half the ticket. And then I was almost underwhelmed by the return that they got, because I was like, this is a, a primetime rental that you're carrying half the freight for. Could you not get something in return? Now, the real question, the X factor in all of this. I thought the return
3: was pretty good for what
2: he Yeah, is. I just thought it was a bit underwhelming. It's fine. But that was the first thing I had in my mind. The second thing automatically shifted to how much of a shot in the arm is this going to be for Tarasenko? Because he's obviously not the player and the sniper that he was. Mm-hmm. But he still had, what was it, like, 29 points in 39 games. Pretty good last season. Mm -hmm. But he's going to such a more robust offensive team now. Like all due respect to St. Louis, who's got some weapons up front. But St. Louis was having a bad year. And he he was the representative at the All-Star game. Just to give you an idea of where they were at in terms of offensive output this year. Now you look at it and it's like, He's got guys that he can slot in behind that are going to take a lot of the heavy lifting, like Zabinejad, Panarin, Mm -hmm. Kreider. And if you slide him in, I almost feel like it might be a better, in a very weird way, a better fit than Kane because he's not going to demand as much attention or as much notoriety, even though it's still Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, There will obviously be a connection with Panarin. And I think it was almost like, We don't want to come out of our shoes to go bidding for Kane. Let's take this slightly lower ceiling guy that we can get in now and we can get him in the mix a month before the deadline. Uh, I really like the move for New York. Like, I really
3: like the move for New York. So, for me, last night, the big story was Minnesota and Calgary because both these teams are not in a good way. And if you look at the way the standings are in the Western Conference, it very well could come down to – Either Minnesota makes the playoffs or Calgary makes the playoffs. I realize Nashville is still in the mix, and that's about it. Really, there are 10 teams that are going to be fighting for eight playoff spots. A bunch of them are already decided, really. I don't think Dallas is going to miss. I don't think Winnipeg is going to miss. But then actually, when you look at all the other teams, they're all in the conversation for me. Sure, Colorado, what is their health going to be? They're off to a bad start
2: post uh, All Star break. Yeah.
3: I mean, I think they're probably going to make it, but mostly because of the other teams around you. Everyone in the Pacific right now, I'm watching. Vegas had an injury to Logan Thompson, their goalie, yesterday. And we're going to find out today how serious that injury is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to suggest afterwards that it maybe wasn't as serious as it looked, but it looked pretty serious when he hobbled off the ice. Laddie, what are the what are the goalie people saying here? Anything? No update yet. Yeah,
2: okay. They That's still the won five one last night. The Wild were, as you mentioned, in a bit of a tailspin.
3: Seattle and Edmonton. We all know those aren't perfect teams. I think they're probably going to make it, especially Edmonton. I have confidence that is going to make it, and frankly, I have confidence that Seattle's going to make it just because you know they've got a five point cushion on mm-hmm. the playoffs right now. But then L.A., Minnesota, and Calgary, and then Nashville. If you want to round out, like none of these teams are really guaranteed anything because you look at L.A. Well, their goal differential is minus ten. I think that says something about a team. That that about a team. I don't think their goaltending is very good. No, and it's why we talk about a potential Thatcher Demko trade to L.A. Uh, Calgary. We all know the issues that they've been uh, having. They lost to Detroit yesterday. And then Minnesota, we've been talking a lot about them because it's a potential Brock Besser destination. They lost badly to Vegas in that game that Logan Thompson got hurt. And, you know, I follow uh, quite a few – well, not quite. I mean, Mike Russo is the the Minnesota beat writer, and his tweets are just like, this team is in a bad, bad way right now. Yeah, losers of three straight, losers
2: of six of their last eight, clinging to – That either And it almost flips on a nightly basis where it's like, they've got the last wildcard spot, now they're out, and you move on. And I will say this, it makes the deadline more intriguing to have Calgary and Minnesota on the fringes. Both teams obviously had higher aspirations Mm -hmm. than what's going on right now, and I don't see either of them waving the white flag and saying, like, ah, we're selling. Like, I feel like both will be motivated buyers. The question is, as it always is at the deadline, can you make it work under the cap? And what are you willing to spend? Because GMs in general are a little bit apprehensive about, you know, well, let's, go, let's go all after it when you're on the fringes of the playoff chase, right? It's hard to justify making a big splash when you're on 59 points and you're one point out of the wild card. But Tree Living's all in. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say that Bill Guerin's close, if not right at that same level with this current group we very interested to see what both of them do.
3: Uh, it's the Super Bowl this weekend. We should probably mention that.
2: All right, that thing.
3: Chiefs and the Eagles playing in a pretty big game. Fairly. On Sunday down in uh, Glendale, a.k.a. Phoenix, our friend the Moj is there, and we're going to chat with him next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.